Welcome to episode 26 of How We Win. All over the country, ordinary people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to jump in and make a difference right now. The best antidote to anxiety is action. There are 251 days until the most important election of our lives, and we want you to join the party. On today's episode, we have an interview with Anise Parker, the president and CEO of the Victory Fund. She's formerly the mayor of Houston and was the first openly LGBTQ mayor of a major American city. She's been named by Time Magazine as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But first, we are joined by actress and activist Piper Perubo. And yay! Uh, yay. <laughs> it's been an eventful week, and she's going to help us break it down and get you into action. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And, and this, this is How We Win. Hi, Piper. Hi, how's it going? Good morning. <laughs> Thank you welcome. so much. Hey, yeah, welcome. You. Thank you for being here with us. My pleasure. You grew up in New Jersey. I grew up... Uh, I born, was born, born in Texas. Born in Texas, right. grew up in New Jersey, vote in New York. Vote in New York? Yeah. Oh, okay. Are you a New York resident? Or I am a here? New York resident, but I work out here in LA a lot, so... Oh. Uh, are you voting by mail, early voting? No, I'm going to be there. I think I might early vote. I don't know. I'm going to be there on election day, and it's kind of fun to like go to your polling place and get the sticker and like you know walk around all day with all the New Yorkers with your sticker on, so I, I kind of want to do it on the day. That is fun. Yeah. It is fun. But I'll just say this. I know, I know, I know. We should all early vote. We should all early vote because, first of all, you know, we want to make sure that we something doesn't come up on election day where you're stopped from voting. True. Uh, you can get that sticker. You can always stop by the polls and grab one of those. <laughs> but you're probably going to. If gonna... you go in and say, I early voted, can I have a sticker? Will they give it to you? Yes, of course Sometimes they will. Sometimes they give me two stickers because I'm like, I kind of need one for my coat and then for my outfit. Yeah, they'll give <laughs> you a bunch. They're very liberal with the stickers. Okay, good. Um, but we want to be free to knock on doors and to help get other people to show true, up and true, do that. And true. some states, I think it's Oregon, you know, where it's all vote by mail, they send you back an I voted sticker. Somebody's telling me you oh. get an I voted sticker in the in the mail. I thought that was cool. That is cool. We get those in California. You do? If yeah. you vote by mail? Yeah. That's cool. They get, come with your ballot. So you don't right. mm. you get the sticker whether you could you actually vote or not. wear the sticker and, and not have voted, which is not cool. But nobody no. would ever do <laughs> that. That is not cool. I've only done that once. <laughs> no, I've never done that. Terrible example. Um, you're on the advisory board of Vote Run Lead. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that so fantastic organization. Vote Run Lead is a nonpartisan organization that teaches women how to run for office. Mm-hmm. So even if you're just sort of considering running for office, they do these trainings where you can sort of see what your strengths are. They talk to you about where you can run, how you can run, and then they walk you through that whole process if you decide to run. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's been really exciting with Vote Run Lead this year is they started doing a rural women's initiative Mm. to start working on um, getting rural women to run for office in their communities. Because one of the things that I like about Vote Run Lead is when you're talking with women that have never run for office before, they don't, you hear often people say like, 
I'm not qualified. Or, you know, there are people who run for office for president who've been veterans and helicopter pilots and astronauts, and they went to Harvard, and it seems like this sort of unreachable thing. But mm. actually, um, you are an expert in your own community. And mm. I think especially in rural communities, women often are doing multiple jobs in their communities, and mm. so they're ideal candidates for office. Mm. Did you ever think that you would be involved in, in work like this? No. No. <laughs> I was totally not involved in politics almost at all until uh-huh. the day Trump was elected. Right. And then I like panicked and jumped in and tried to figure out how to help. You really jumped in like with both feet, too. A lot of people might not know this, but you are a, like a multi-time inmate of the Washington, <laughs> D.C. <Yeah>. Corrections. <laughs> we got to keep you out of the clink, lady. Come on. <laughs> well, I realized that um, civil disobedience mm. is a tool in the toolbox for pressuring our elected officials. And it's not the first tool you use, obviously, but it's a tool that says we've tried all these other things to make change and we're not being listened to. And so now we're going to put our bodies on the line. And mm-hmm. I feel like it also, if you're an actress, it gets a lot of ink mm. on an issue if you get arrested. Right. So if it's something that I really care about and I feel like it's not getting any motion, that's one of the ways to like get some some uh, light and attention on it. And for people who don't know exactly what we're talking about, um, the first time I believe you were uh, arrested was at the Kavanaugh hearings. I stood up the first day of the Senate hearings um, to approve Justice Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court in protest. And there were hundreds and hundreds of women in mm-hmm. line. They, in a Senate hearing for a Supreme Court justice, they let 22 citizens in at a time. And you sit in the very back of the room in the mm-hmm. Senate Hart building. And um, Unless you're Alyssa Milano, in which case you sit directly behind Kavanaugh the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's kind of amazing at getting a great seat. I could see Congressman Maloney across the aisle from her, and I was like, Yeah, and I am very opposed to Justice Kavanaugh, and so I decided to get arrested. I remember watching that, and then um, you came to an event that uh, we were part of called the Resistance Boot Camp down in uh, Orange County. I think like right after that. Yeah, it was very recently. (laughs) I got out of jail, so I could go. You got out so you could come and speak and and do that. Um, And you were saying that you you came, you found that event because you wanted to – Learn how to knock on doors? Yeah, they're um in the midterm elections, one of the seats that was um a swing it was a swing district actually. It was a swing love swing district was Andy Kim's district, the New Jersey third, uh-huh. which is the congressional district where I grew up. And I really don't like the congressman there. <laughs> and so I and I really liked Andy Kim. Um and so I was trying to figure out ways that I could help besides just fundraising and it's my community. So I felt, you know, um, like I was saying about women running for office, you mm-hmm. know, you're an expert in your community. So going home to door knock really made a lot of sense. But I was kind of nervous because I didn't really know what happened. Like, it's sort of weird to go up to somebody's door and like, yeah. hi, can I talk to you? <laughs> like, <laughs> I know I don't know you. But one of the – so then I – so I found the boot camp because you were doing um, a talk on how to door knock. Right. <laughs> which you really – people really need to know. Like, no, one of the things that you said in that that I tell everybody is – 
when you go to door knock for a candidate, you're only knocking on doors of people who are registered in that party. Mm-hmm. Right. I was so afraid that like, because my town and my district is a Obama Trump district. So mm-hmm. I was nervous to knock on people's doors. So I thought, oh, Trump voters are going to open the door and start shouting at me. And we're going to argue about tax law. And like, I don't know that much about tax law. So I can't really <laughs> argue about it. And, but, but then when I realized, oh, I'm going to be only knocking on registered Democrats doors. And most of the time, you're just giving them information about, you know, do you know where your polling place is? Do you need a ride? But, you know, like information. You're not sort of arguing about the policies. Then it's so much less scary. Like, I'm totally happy to knock on somebody's door and say, like, here's your bowling place. Here's information. Do you have everything you need? That's just, like, being neighborly. So I could do that. Yeah. It's a really, really good point. And a lot of people, when they think of knocking on doors, that's the first thing they think about is I'm going to knock on a door of, like, a Trump-loving Republican and get in a big argument with them. Uh, Campaigns will will generally not send you to those (laughs) doors because they're not really constructive. Like, you know, we have a a limited amount of time, a limited amount of resources. So we want to reach voters who uh, are supporters or potential supporters and maybe aren't that great at voting and just need that extra push. Yeah, people are busy and they, you know, it might not they might not have made their plan to vote yet. So you can help them just sort of put it on the calendar and like get that in their focus. Yeah. I like that um approach of I'm helping my neighbors yeah. by going and knocking on doors. Um you have probably one of the most polite Twitter accounts I've oh, ever thank seen. You. <laughs> but it's also really informative and you were telling us that you're doing this, you know, big push to help people figure out where to vote on Super Tuesday. Yeah, I'm writing a series of tweets um state by state ter- for like for a specific state or specific territory that's voting on Super Tuesday. And um because it's different in every state when the polls open, sometimes it's different even within right. the state. Right. Like yeah. New Hampshire when I wrote the New Hampshire tweet, some places open at 5 a.m. and some places open at 10 a.m. So you really need to know what is the website you should click to find out your polling place. So I'm working on this whole series of tweets to put out next week, and I couldn't find any information on American Samoa. Okay. They're, um, Democrats abroad and American Samoa are both part of the Super Tuesday big voting bloc, ah. and there was literally no information out there. And the links, when you go through government links, you end up getting to just a blank page that isn't, you know, it says like 404 information not found or whatever that kind of page is. Yeah. So I'm on the lookout for voter information for American Samoa if anybody listening has it? I have the solution me. right now. What? Three of us hop on a plane. Let's go <laughs> oh, to America go to Samoa. America. I'm so into it. <laughs> We're That's gonna figure this so- But listen, if anybody out there who's listening lives in American Samoa, is aware, you got family in American Samoa. Ask need, him what's ha- we going on. We need a place on. to stay. Is that what you're getting at? <laughs> <laughs> tweet no. me. Tweet me. Yeah, tweet at Piper and let her know so she can spread the word. Yeah, that's really helpful. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's at my name at. P-I-P-E-R-P-E-R-A-B-O. Great. All right. I, I bet follow, we're going to... I follow Piper. You do. I do. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I bet we're going to figure this out. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. This yeah. is going to be productive. And it's a fun <laughs> reason to like reach out to a bunch of people to be like, do you know anybody in American Samoa? <laughs> <laughs> um, so the second time you were arrested... <laughs> Let's take a trip down memory lane. I, know, I love that's how our structure is. <laughs> was with uh, Jane Fonda and her, you know, recurring Friday events. Um, fire Drill Friday. Fire Drill Friday. Thank you for the environment. She was doing Fire Drill Friday every Friday in right. Washington D.C. during right. her hiatus. So it went on for months. And what was cool about that was there would be. Um, 
a live streamed teach in like the night before the protest. So each week was on a different subject about the environment. Like the 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 week that I went was about water. And so mm. all these scientists and experts and policy people did this uh, teach in that you could live stream anywhere in the world to learn what's going on, what we need to do about it. And then the next day there would be the march with those people. And then some of us would get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess my follow up to that is um, – What's going to get you arrested next? <laughs> no. Don't. I don't know. We'll see. The world is your oyster. Yeah. I think this is so interesting. I love the idea of a teach-in because one of the things that we talk about almost every week when we talk about our little hot topics at the beginning mm -hmm. is the spread of misinformation mm. that's intentionally yeah. sort of confusing people. And there's, I think, like a billion-dollar campaign to spread information that's going to help propel um, Trump forward. What I love about our side is that <laughs> we're about educating people. Yeah. Uh, and that's so important, especially if you're asking people to put their bodies on the line, put their time and energy into something. Um, they need to know what it's for. Totally. And I think things like podcasts and live stream teach-ins, they're, they're free. So you can mm -hmm. educate yourself from experts and it doesn't cost you anything. And most of us, whether we're commuting to work, in our car, in the subway or whatever, you can spend that time sort of learning about what's going on and how to participate. I think that's really, really important. Thank you for bringing that up about the misinformation campaign. There was an amazing article in The Atlantic um, which really breaks down exactly the tactics that were used last cycle, which are being continued to be used mm -hmm. with all the misinformation. Um, it's – it's going to work, and um, and what we're talking about today is how we counter it. Mm -hmm. Like you know what you were talking about, Piper, going into your own community, knocking on doors, going out uh, to to rallies and talking to people and educating them. Because we know that face to face conversations, we know that when we really connect with people, that's what's the most effective thing. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to break through the noise. But you know we need more people to do it. From the, the canvassing training that we did, you know, you have about a 20% contact rate when you're knocking mm -hmm. on doors. Yeah. So um, – and of those 20%, you know, a completed conversation is, is even less, right? But they're really effective. So we just need more people to jump in this work, have these conversations so that we can counter all this misinformation. And I think also it's not just the – convert. like if I knock on your door and talk to you about voting, it's not just that one conversation that happens because of that. Then you go back in your house and at dinner tonight you say to your family like, oh my god, somebody came to the door and that begins a conversation. And you know what I mean? It's not just the one conversation that happens from that mm -hmm. door knock it sort of spreads out through a family and that social group yeah there's a um, there's a ballot measure um here in los angeles um measure r it's called vote yes on measure r um <laughs> and uh a friend of mine called me and she's like we have to get everybody to vote yes on measure r it's a criminal justice reform measure it's really smart and so i thought okay i'm just gonna learn about measure r that like you know when you get the big book that has like all the different ballot measures and it can be like a little overwhelming. So I thought, okay, I'll just take one and learn about it. And then I'll keep talking to all my neighbors like, hey, have you guys heard about Measure R? Like, are you, how are you thinking about that? This is what it means, blah, right. blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we can do to also have those conversations with our community. That's a great point. There's uh, something called relational organizing, uh -huh. which is really, really effective. And um, when we look at uh, study different ways that we contact voters – 
uh, the Analyst Institute, which we've worked with to uh, dissect what works and what doesn't work uh-huh. and what's really effective. Relational organizing always comes out on top. What like, is in a relational big way. organizing? Thank you. Um, <laughs> relational organizing is just when you have someone that is within your orbit that you know, and you don't have to be close to them. You don't have to be like close friends, but there's someone that, that you know or they know you. Um, for someone who is a celebrity and um, they have a much bigger uh, – you know, circle of, of impact when they reach out and talk about measure R or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when we're knocking on a stranger's door, we can have an effective conversation with them, but there's no substitute for being a trusted messenger that someone already knows. And this mm-hmm. is especially true when it comes to younger voters. Huh. So, um, so it's not just about going out and volunteering or going out and voting, but it's about bringing in three or four of your friends with you and reaching out to people in your circle to get them involved as well. And that has a multiplying effect. It's really effective. And that makes me wonder, you know, like when you look at your contact list on your phone? Yes. Can you organize it by state? Like if you put search into your contact, because what I don't, I don't remember whose initiative this was during 2018, but um, I kept reaching, I kept like, you know, when I'd hear about a great candidate that I wanted to win, uh, then I would start looking through my phone to like, do I know anybody in Kentucky? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so then I could text them. And even if it's like, I went to college with you and I haven't seen you in 20 years, it's still sort of fun to be like, <laughs> hey, did you know, like the voting is coming up and blah, blah. How are you, by the way? Yeah, <laughs> But I wonder exactly if you can it. do that. Uh, I'm going to check my phone when we finish talking to see if that's possible. Yeah, no, that that's, that is exactly what you do. And even if it's someone that you went to college with, you haven't talked to in a long time, mm-hmm. you send them a Facebook message and be like, hey, I see that you're living in San Antonio. Uh, guess what? Texas is purple. We could win that. You know, um, it's it's really effective. Right. I had a cousin that went to college in Alabama. And when I was working on the Doug Jones campaign, I called <laughs> her and I was like, would it be weird for you to reach out to all your college friends from Alabama for me? And she was like, no, just write me what I'm supposed to say. And I was like, yes, thank yes. you. That's thanks. awesome. Yeah. That's relational organizing. Nice. Well you done. were You didn't even know what it was and you were doing it. <laughs> yeah, good. Well done. Back when Facebook was being really open about all the scary stuff that they could do, it used to – I think they used to have a feature where you could – search for your friends, find out if they were registered to vote oh, cool. and where they lived and like send them information about that. I think I, I think they stopped touting that they could do that. I knew there was an app that could tell – at least there was an app that could tell you if your friends were registered to vote. And they got kind of nervous about it because I was like, I don't want to vote shame or like oh, whatever that. Oh, please that's. do. But, <laughs> but I think effective. you can be – you can do it without being like, so I saw you're not registered to right, vote. You know right. what I mean? Be like, hey, are you registered? And not – you know what I mean? Like keep it on the positive. That's social pressure. Yeah, stuff. social pressure, not yeah. social shaming. Yeah, exactly. It works though. It really does work. Cool. So uh, let's talk a little bit um, about the week and what were our reasons for hope. Cool. Who wants to go first, you guys? <laughs> Piper, you seem ready to go with your reason for hope. I mean, how many days did you say it is until the election? 251? What did I say? Yeah, yeah that's exactly what's, what a good memory. Um, I am so hopeful because there's only 251 days left of this presidency. (laughs) I'm so proud of everyone for making it this far. I thought when this guy got elected, I was crying for three days and Mm -hmm. I just thought we're never going to make it. We're never going to make it. And that we're this close to the election. I'm like, we can make it. 
we can get there. Like we are all like we have gone so far in this race to hold the line and not let him completely topple our democratic republic. I just feel like, oh my gosh, we're in the straightaway. Yeah. Like it's ex- it's so exciting to be this close to getting rid of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> just like yeah. I love it. I mean, that's one of the things I'm so hopeful for. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, 251 days. That's not we bad. can do that. We can do anything for 251 it's days. Like, see, 251 days freaks me out because yeah, we, I'm like, like if you're we not have a lot of work, like to do. please, <laughs> if you're listening to this and you haven't jumped in, please jump in. We, we need, need you right you. now. Now's the time. If <laughs> yeah. you haven't jumped in, no shame. Just like jump in. Now's the hottest time. You're so nice to people. I'm full on shaming them. And you're like, no shame. It's okay. I'm like, shame on you. What no, have you I'm been like, doing? Come on. Everybody <laughs> wants to be like invited to a party. You know what I mean? So I exactly. feel like if you're positive about it and you're like I got donuts what's that gift that's always like get in losers we're going to vote you know <laughs> for mean girls like I, I like that kind of stuff what are that. you guys hopeful for um what gives me hope this week is um congress member Katie Porter in Orange County is collecting information from people who are being scammed by the Republican National Committee so the RNC yeah. has been sending out Fake census forms. So, you know, the census... No way, really? The census starts in a few weeks. The RNC, and we know this is happening in other places around the country, they're sending voters forms that say, take this community census. And it's all about what a great job Donald Trump is doing. And, of course, a fundraising letter is included with it as well. And it's very unclear to people that it's a fundraising tactic and not the actual census. And then in some cases, the Trump campaign is following up with a text saying, hey, did you get your census form? Make sure you fill it out in the next 24 hours. So um, be aware that the census is coming. You will not be asked for any money from the census. That's a good thing to say. It will not be about Donald Trump. And thank you, Katie Porter, for, for calling this out and for letting constituents know that that they're being scammed potentially yeah that's so upsetting because the census is so important for so many things especially the money that your community gets to operate is based on how many people are in the census and what your congressional district how many people you know what i mean like there's so many things that we get from a clear census and so that's really yeah gross shouldn't play around with the census the republicans are dirty cheaters that's not a nice thing to say, but it's true. You are so nice, <laughs> Piper. You're like a ray of sunshine well. into my dark soul. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, Steve, what's your reason for hope this week? Well, my reason for hope, and this was the big news, is that Harvey Weinstein has been convicted. And he is a convicted rapist who is mm-hmm. uh, in jail now, going to Rikers. And uh, it's a testament to all of the women who have, you know, at such great personal cost and so brave have come forward. Uh, There's a direct line, Piper, to the work that you guys were doing um, in the Kavanaugh hearings Mm -hmm. uh, with Christine Blasey Ford, who was shut down by the Republicans. But so many women continue to make their voices heard. And now we have one of the most powerful, rich people who have always gotten by, mm-hmm. always gotten a pass, held accountable. And uh, and he will 
continue to be because there's new charges coming here in Los Angeles too. Mm -hmm. So um, that gives me reasons, uh, a big reason for hope and an enormous amount of gratitude for people like you and every and the and the people who came forward uh, in the Harvey Weinstein case to tell their stories. It's really. Just somebody said yesterday, they said just to see convicted rapist instead of alleged rapist in front of his name is so, in some ways, like satisfying. Yeah. Um, yeah, when he was remanded into custody yesterday, there was no cameras inside the courtroom, but people were live tweeting what was going on. And when they remanded him into custody and put handcuffs in, on him and walked him away to jail, I just thought like... Okay. You know what I mean? And then actually the DA in New York City gave a great press conference um, and the way he was framing it and saying that these women, these survivors, right. all, you know, really being so grateful for, to them and to the journalists who brought this story forward because those women felt that they wouldn't be believed. And so instead, when they went to law enforcement in the past, they weren't believed. And so they went mm -hmm. instead to journalists. And he called out the journalists and thanked the journalists as well, which I thought was really cool. And it's really... I feel like a new era to have this size and powerful predator convicted. And I think it sends a message to how we prosecute this kind of crime in this country. Yeah. It gives me hope for the rule of law to prevailing in, in a very dark time when literally uh, earlier today you had Trump saying that Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Justice mm -hmm. Sotomayor should recuse themselves from any Trump-related issues. You know, he's tr uh, repeatedly trying to denigrate the rule of law, and um, and these justices are, are standing up and, uh, and not bending, and um, that gives me a tremendous amount of hope. Me too, and like – you know, tangle with Ruth Bader Ginsburg at your peril. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> that is one powerhouse of a person. So yeah. I think he picked the wrong. Uh, yeah, Trump lady. versus RBG is like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's he's it's got to kill him a little bit because everybody loves her so much, and he wishes that everybody loved him so much. Love, and she's so much. Harder than him. I mean, come on. She's yeah. also just like she's so focused on her work. Mm -hmm. I remember when I did. You see that documentary, RBG? Yeah, yeah. When they were show, she had you know they do that cool like impression of her on SNL <laughs> where they go, "You've been Ginsburg," <laughs> and so in the documentary they asked RBG if she'd ever seen the SNL skits, and she said no. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're so focused on your work that you don't even watch SNL when you're the character. And they showed it to her, and she was like, hmm. Like, it was, she wouldn't even get all like, wow, I'm so famous. She was just like, oh, that's funny. She's focused on her work and lifting her weights and just, like, pushing through. So. And we're all focused on sending her vitamins every day. Yeah, totally. <laughs> anyway... Uh, Piper, you really have been a ray of sunshine. That's so nice. Thank you. Know, you. Thank you for yeah. all the work that you do and for using your voice and your platform and your Twitter account for good. Thank you, guys, and thanks for doing this podcast. I like, I've learned so much about activism through podcasts, so I'm so glad about this happening. Awesome. Awesome. Well, have a fun Super Tuesday. Thanks. <laughs> we'll <laughs> see you in well. Samoa. <laughs> <laughs> Find a moment of calm at Classical WETA 90.9 FM. Available to stream now at classicalweta.org or on the Classical WETA app. 
How cool was Piper? She was awesome. I feel like I learned so much from her. Yeah. About organizing my thoughts and what my focus needs to be. She's got a binder full of, of issues and information on states, and she informs herself and does research and takes action. I need her to sit down with me and help me get organized. There's so many races and things like that to follow that you're just sort of like, Bleh. Yep. If you're not like Piper, I suppose you could go to Swing Left's site because we do have a pretty uh, comprehensive website. I go look at that super state map all the time. Because, again, you could go a million different directions, but very few people are organized <laughs> yeah, or have the capacity to do that. So if you could focus, you know, yeah. it's the a, super state strategy. A lot of strategy has gone into that and makes it easy for people. So so what, what are we going to do this week? What are our calls to action for people? First of all, be like Piper. Yeah. That's your first call to action. Get out and do something. Second, phone, phone a, a friend. friend. February. That's it's the right. last week. Last week for you to get people. I mean, you can still do it after February, I suppose. I hope you still do it after February. <laughs> but this is the last time that you'll hear me stumble over the phrase, phone, phone a, friend, a friend February. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, our subscriptions are going up. So yeah. it's working. So thank you for the folks who have done it for those of you who like to wait till the last minute to do things <laughs> that's cool i'm one of you i'm a super procrastinator it's leap year. we have an extra day in february you do have 29 days this month to tell a friend about this podcast get them to subscribe the idea being that you're exposing them to something new informative and helpful that will get them engaged in this work amen sister also mariah's excellent point from a few weeks ago texting a friend is really effective too. And you can just text them the link to the podcast and make it easy for them to subscribe. Mm -hmm. Swingleft.org slash podcast. Boom. Done. And then uh, it is Super Tuesday coming up. Swing Left is organizing around Super Tuesday because we love taking moments where everyone is tuned in mm -hmm. and bringing people together. So we're doing Super Tuesday watch parties. And it's an opportunity to get involved with the Swing Left group in your community mm -hmm. and uh, and then get into action. So go to swingleft.org slash events and find a Super Tuesday watch party near you. That's going to be awesome. It's always fun to watch the results come in with other people. Yeah. Than to do it at home in the dark with a bottle of <laughs> wine. I mean, I've done that in the past. It's fine. It works. No judgment. It's also fun to do it with other people. It is. So. It's fun to do it with other people, and we need to organize with other people. We've got to blow this up. Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to have some tips for hosting or joining a house party. Right. We'll do that right after the interview. A little programming note. Hmm. Next week, we're going to release on Thursday, not on our regular Wednesday mornings, mm -hmm. so that we can bring you all the results and breakdown from Super Tuesday with Dan Pfeiffer, who's going to be in studio with us. Yay. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna have a, a really helpful breakdown as well as like a what comes next. Like this all doesn't end on Super Tuesday, obviously. Yes, but first, before we do that, we have Anise Parker coming up, and this is an interview uh, when we were in D.C. for an event with Billy Eichner, and you remember. 
remember the Billy Eichner interview. I do remember that, um, that one, yeah. We were so lucky because the Victory Fund offices was mm -hmm. right across the street from the hotel where the event was. And we were able to literally like grab Mayor Anise Parker off the street and bring her into the studio. Mm -hmm. And she has been on the front lines of uh, fighting for uh, LGBTQ rights from the very beginning. She was the first openly gay mayor of any major American city. Mm -hmm. And I've been really looking forward to people hearing this great interview with her. Can't wait to hear it. Anise Parker currently is the president and CEO of the Victory Fund and Victory Institute. She served six years as a Houston City Council member, six years as city controller, and six years as mayor of the city. She is the first openly LGBTQ mayor of a major American city and has been named by Time Magazine as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. Mayor Parker, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Glad to visit with you. Always love to talk shop. Yay. So how did you get your start? You grew up in Houston? I grew up in Houston. I'm a native Houstonian, and I come from a a political family, not people who ran for office, but they were aware of politics and okay. always voted and made sure that they were up on the issues. But I became a lesbian activist in college. I attended, I'm, I'm 63 years old. You don't <laughs> so, look 63. Thank you. I attended my first LGBT organizing event in 1975, and wow. it was the Texas Gay Conference. I was in college at the time, and I threw myself into LGBT organizing. I was one of the founders of my university's uh, student LGBT student association. Mm -hmm. It started in 1979. So I've been doing this a long time. I've not old enough for Stonewall, but almost. Right. And I've seen a lot of the arc of the movement. And after being a college activist, uh, after I graduated, went into the workforce, I was still very involved. But at some point, I kept saying, if I really wanted to make a change, I was going to have to run myself. Never something I aspired to. And it actually took me 20 years of being in the workforce and being an yeah. activist to get there. But then I spent 18 years in full-time public life in, in Houston working on my hometown, working to change it. So what were those early campaigns like um, in Houston at that time? You know, what was the organizing like around that? So we started a political organizing organization. We, others did. In, mm -hmm. Again, in 1975, the Houston Gay Political Caucus. And the goal was to support allies. And, and I would say a lot of that early part of the movement was... You know, pre-Stonewall, it was, please don't hurt us. Yeah. After Stonewall, it was, we're here, we're queer, get used to it. Right. And then a few years post-Stonewall, it was, we can be a legitimate part of the the political life in our communities, and we need to figure out how to do it. And that was through supporting other candidates. And there was there was blowback. There was pushback. A lot of sure, candidates weren't, time. weren't interested in having the support of the LGBTQ community. We actually, as an as a community, had worked hard to mm -hmm. elect a slate of city council members in the 1980s, and uh, a mayor who was uh, 
pro-LGBT. They passed a, a non-discrimination ordinance in, in city employment. Uh, it was promptly repealed by the voters, and they all were, were you know, targeted by the right to, to be right. taken out. So we, so it was a little bit one step forward. <laughs> I mean, Houston doesn't have the reputation as being the most progressive city, although... It's in Texas, but yeah. I would say that every city, every big city in Texas has a strong Democratic majority, but they are blue islands in the big toxic Red Sea that's the rest of Texas. Right. And, you know, a, a progressive in Texas may not look like a progressive in some other parts of the country. Certainly a Democrat in Texas doesn't look like a Democrat in other places. Right. That's an important distinction to make, especially for many of us who live in this- uh, In the bubble. In the double bubble, <laughs> as we as we call it. Yeah. I spent 20 years working in the, in the oil and gas industry before I was elected to office. So 20 years in the oil industry, 18 years in, in office. So for example, you couldn't- a chief political office in Houston running against what, when I entered the industry, was 80% of the Houston economy. You, right. You know, that's just, yeah. you can't be anti-LGBT, or I mean, anti-oil. You can be LGBT, but you can't, can't be, be anti-oil anti oil right. and gas. However, uh, while I was mayor, Houston became the largest municipality to purchase, uh, uh, or the largest municipal purchaser of renewable energy in America, because I'm very much about green energy and climate change, right. they aren't necessarily incompatible, but you have to learn how to have the right conversations uh, with folks to make sure that they know where you're going or what you believe in and don't pick fights unnecessarily. That seems like something that's happening a lot right now. A lot, a lot of, of unnecessary fights going on. So local yeah. government's completely different. You know, local government is about can you get the trash picked up? Can right. you fix the potholes, barking yeah. dogs and trash? We need a stop sign a on stop the corner sign. of Main and 3rd. It's operational. And the good news about local government is it you get immediate feedback. Everybody can see when local government's doing well mm -hmm. because you experience it every day. The bad news is that everybody can see what you do and you're with your constituents all the time. <laughs> There's no place to hide. Right. And it, it's very different from going off to a state capitol or coming off to Washington and uh, you disappear into the capitol and you know, <laughs> smoke signals come up <laughs> right. so often. It's the only way people know what you're doing. Well, let's talk about your current work. First of all, um, uh, what is the work that the Victory Fund does? Explain that to people who aren't familiar with the organization. Well, for almost 30 years, not quite 30 years, we have had a singular mission, and that is to help elect openly LGBT candidates to political office. We don't support allies. We are nonpartisan, and we do not do policy at all. We're the only national organization in our space. Every other national LGBT organization is a policy group. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're also the only national organization that works at every level of the ballot. Uh, there is actually a mosquito control board in Florida <laughs> where we've helped somebody be elected all the way up to now. Can we, we get one a, of those in Los Angeles now? Because we're being overrun by these little mosquitoes, little sidebar. Yeah, that's can... <laughs> a, it's actually a big deal when you think about it. But all the way to the president of the United States, we have a presidential candidate in, in Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. I'm not aware of other of the national LGBT organizations supporting him, but he is our mission. He was a mayor that we supported, mm -hmm. and now that he's running for president, 
we've supported him solely because, well, I won't say solely, we support only LGBTQ candidates, but we have a viability standard and we uh, are the candidates that we support have to have a path to victory. They have to be running real campaigns and they have to be credible. Uh, right. You're not just going to support anyone because they oh, say right. they want to run for office. And, you know, they have a, they have a pulse and they can put a string of a sentence together. No. Although that's year, kind of the bar where we're at <laughs> with a lot of, oh, sorry. You might think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, last year in 2018, there was a rainbow wave of, of mm-hmm. candidates we have a we have something called the Out for America map. It's if you just do an internet search, Out for America, it shows you every current LGBT elected official that that we know about. Mm-hmm. There's about 760 people on the list. There were almost that many people who ran last year. Wow. Uh, we identified yeah. well over 700 out candidates. We made contact with about 400 of them. We formally screened 320 of them. And we endorsed in 274 races. So we we do filter uh, down. Our candidates win the ones we endorse at, at over 60%. Like last year, I think it was about 64% candidates that we screen and don't endorse. I think there were 1%. Uh-huh. Uh, and then there are other candidates out there that, again, we didn't, we didn't make contact with. But uh, we we care very much that we're that we have credible, capable people in the political pipeline. That's the Victory Fund. Of course. And then we also do candidate campaign training. If you if you didn't make it this time, maybe you were in the wrong race. Maybe you didn't know what you were doing. Come and let us help you acquire the skills to be a better candidate, and then maybe you'll win the next time. That's really important. I lost my yeah. first two races. I always, <laughs> I, I don't like saying that, but I think it's important <laughs> that uh, we don't we don't give up. Part of the reason I lost my two races was I was an East Parker lesbian. Actually, no, I was an East Parker gay because they really didn't use the L word back in the early 90s. Right. But uh, every time I was, uh, the, the two times I was on the ballot, and part of my challenge was figuring out how to how to tell my story and own my narrative, not go away from that because I was I wasn't way out. I, I couldn't right. go back in the closet, but to do it in a way that people would hear the rest of my message. And that's a lot of what we teach the people we work with. You have to be openly LGBT to get the victory support, but that doesn't mean you have to tattoo the word gay across your forehead. It means that you have to own who you are and you have to find a way to make your life experience connect to the constituents who you're trying to get to vote for you. You know, you talk about Pete Buttigieg, who you're supporting, and I think he really exemplifies exactly what you're talking about with that, because it's, um, first of all, looking at the arc of your political career and the work you're doing to um, have a presidential candidate, openly gay man, and doing so well, must be very gratifying to see that, I mean, obviously we have a lot more work to do, but, um, you know, the way that he presents it, you know, it's, it's, it's one of many of his attributes that, that make up the patchwork of who he is as an individual and what he brings to the table as a leader. Pete Buttigieg, he's a gifted politician. He's a very, very smart, engaging guy. Yeah. And he has – South Bend is not an insignificant city. Being a mayor is probably the best political experience you could have, uh, the best – you know. 
mayors, governors, uh, no bias place. at all, of course. <laughs> no, but, but it is. It's a really, yeah, really no. good, very it's very applicable uh, executive experience. Uh, I do think it's important to note Pete Buttigieg is not the first openly LGBT candidate to run for president. Fred Carger ran eight years ago uh, in the Obama reelect. He ran as a Republican hmm. and actually qualified for some of the state ballots. I think what the difference is, is that I would call Fred more of an insurgent candidate. He was trying to, I mean, he was running as a Republican, but the Republican Party rejected him. He had to sort of force his way into those spaces. And for Pete, having already been an elected official, an experienced candidate, and the, and the Democratic Party has uh, opened its doors right. to him. Right, right. And he is being treated and has to compete exactly the way the other candidates yeah. do. And, you know, Fred, we need a Fred Carter in order to sort of push the envelope so that a Pete can come forward. I don't know if Pete Buttigieg is, will become the next president, Democratic nominee for president, but every day he's in the race, it it changes how people think about the LGBTQ community, what a gay candidate looks like and sounds like. And the way he's so, not casually, but in such an ordinary way, mentions Chaston, yeah. talks about his husband, yeah. and normalizes yeah. it. And it's it's great. It is really great. It's great. Um, and we had an election and a historic number of LGBTQ candidates were elected, many of who you supported. How's that feel? <laughs> it feels great. Actually, the our biggest races were in the spring, and we dubbed it the year of the lesbian mayor. Uh, <laughs> we had the, Chicago being a huge win, uh, Lori Lightfoot, the, the new mayor of Chicago, but mm -hmm. Jane yeah. Castor in Tampa and Sacha Rhodes-Conway in uh, uh, Madison. I make a lot of jokes about, about this. Uh, when I was mayor of Houston, I was headed the largest city well, the only major city to ever have an, uh, a lesbian or gay mayor, but the largest city to have a woman mayor as well. Mm -hmm. And so Lori Lightfoot took both the lesbian mayor title <laughs> and the woman mayor title away so from You knew what was going to happen. It's like yeah. the marathon runner who posts the crazy time, and eventually someone's going to beat it. <laughs> Houston's, Houston's number four and Chicago's uh, number three. But then on election day, we just uh, – the there's a – we do work, in, Victory Institute does work internationally. The mayor of Bogota, Colombia is an out lesbian as well. Wow. So it is still the year of the lesbian mayor. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. We, we did work in Colombia. One more question um, for you. You've been on the front lines, part of the arc of history. It seems like it's a Sisyphean task, especially with this current administration. Um, all the work that's been done, we see you know, rolled back in some cases. We have to keep fighting. It's definitely a struggle. It can be demoralizing. But what gives you the most hope for the future right now? When I was starting in the movement in the early 1970s, if, if you had told me that in my lifetime... I would be able to marry the woman I love and to adopt and raise children and to be able to be openly who I am, I would have said that that wasn't possible. Hmm. There are a lot of things that we uh, work on that where you really would like to be able to say at some point, we've, we're done. We don't right. have to do this anymore. Yeah. But most of the really important social movements, 
uh, require constant effort. There's the everybody loves the the quote from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Mm. But they say it as if it's the magical thinking. You know, we'll pray over it and it'll get right. there, or we'll 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 work for a while and we'll eventually get there. No. You have to put your hand on that arc and move it into place. And it's not just your hand, it's someone else's hand and someone else's and someone else's. And you constantly have to work to keep it moving toward greater justice. And so uh, what we saw when Donald Trump came in is that a lot of our gains that we thought were there mm -hmm. maybe are more ephemeral, ephemeral than we thought right. and that we can go backwards. So well, I'm doing my best to make sure that he doesn't have a second term. Mm -hmm. I think it was a good wake-up call for a lot of folks because a lot of people said, okay, we have marriage. We can stop. We can rest. Right. Uh, our work is done. And no, it's not. And you can't ever take it for granted because social movements come and go and, and the world can, can change. The other thing we always have to remember, and because victory does international work, I'll, I'll say this, that is that we can achieve all our rights here, full equal rights, and be assured that it's not going to be reversed, and there's still the whole rest of the world. Right. Yes. Well, we have a lot of work to do, and uh, I encourage everyone listening to this to support the work you're doing at the Victory Fund, and uh, let's keep marching up that hill with that boulder together. It's, you know, it's, the boulder does keep rolling back down, but it doesn't roll as far. I mean, right. we are making progress. That's what we have to remember. We, we have made a tremendous progress. Yeah. We just can't stop. Can't we can't stop. rest on our laurels. We can't say it's, it's enough. And then once we achieve whatever goal we set before us, we can't stop paying attention to it because right. someone else can come along and change it. Change it. Can't stop, won't stop. Won't stop. <laughs> Mayor, Park, fun Mayor Parker, thank you so much for sitting yeah. down. And again, I'm so thrilled that you were able to do this at last minute. I really, really appreciate it. Happy to. Okay, so house party time. Yes, we've got swing left house parties around Super Tuesday, Super Tuesday house parties. But just in general... Let's share some tips for throwing a, an effective house party for our listeners. Ooh. Mariah, what are your hot tips for parties? Okay, so a party should be fun, but this type of party should also have a goal. Mm. So, like, what is your goal for your party? Not just to watch the results, right? It's to activate somebody or to find an action that you can take. So go into your party, whether you're a host or a guest, with a goal. That's a great, great tip. So anytime you're you're throwing a party or a house meeting or anything like that, you need to make sure you always have an event there that you can funnel people into. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like a sign-up. Right. Have a sign-up sheet. A sign-up sheet to get people into action. Yeah. Have name tags, a sign-up sheet, and get everybody's email and phone number because you're going to want to follow up with – you're going to make the ask at the party – then you're going to follow up because people are going to be like, oh, I'll raise my hand, but I won't actually, you know, or something like that. 
Right. That was a good impression of me at a house party, by the way. <laughs> um, but, okay, so so those those are seem like basic, but I'm going to reemphasize them because they're really good. You want to make sure you get their email and their phone number mm-hmm. uh, on a sign-up sheet, everyone that comes in. And name tags seem obvious, but they are so helpful. I am terrible with names. I'm yeah. really, really bad with them. And I actually have learned so many names from going to so many events because we've used the old tried-and-true name tag. I love a name tag. Uh, and I'm like you. As soon as I intro- introduce myself to someone, their name flies out of my head. So yeah, being able to... Being able to uh, remember somebody or call someone by their name is such a great community builder. So, um, what are your tips? The big tip that I would have for any party is. Uh, you always want to give people a chance to get to know each other a little bit. Okay. And especially if it's a smaller party, a great opportunity is to go around the room and let people tell a little bit of their story. Mm-hmm. Because that's really our personal story, as you know, is how we connect with people. Mm-hmm. So um, when we can just do a quick, who are you? Why are you here? Like what motivated you to jump in and do this work? And um, you know what has been your experience volunteering before? It can really... Uh, bring people together in the room and and show them that there's people with different levels of experience volunteering. Um, and also, it, it will always highlight that common bond we have um, for you know, how pressing these issues are in our lives. That's great. People enjoy talking about themselves and they also do. learning about other people. So More talking about themselves, but also learning about other people. <laughs> <laughs> um, for people who are going to host house parties... Who are the guests that they're bringing into their homes? Well, that's a great question because obviously, you know, your friends and family, people that you want to reach out to, but don't be shy to reach out a little deeper into your community. Go, you know, with neighbors, even people that you don't know that well because you never know who is going to respond to it and want to get involved. And um, and remember, it's it's a party. It's going to be fun. You're inviting them to the table. You're inviting them to be part of something when you when you extend that invitation, you're showing someone that you value them, mm-hmm. that you think that they're uh, a member of the community who would want to step up and do this work and would be a valuable member doing this work. So don't be shy about casting a wider net than you uh, would think. I think that's good. And I also think that you can cast a wide net, but you you don't have to throw a big rager. Like this is not <laughs> really the time for that. Like if you have a handful of of people who are willing to engage in conversation and take action, holy cow, that's huge. You don't need a hundred of them. Oh, yeah. You just need a handful. Oh, yeah. In many ways, like I've worked with a lot of different sizes of groups, mm-hmm. and um, and some of the smaller groups – have a have a tendency to even to be more active yeah. and do really impactful work because it's harder to organize a larger group of people. Right. But when you have like five to ten people even, you know, in a group and, and you're sitting and you can really get some stuff done and go out and canvas together or write letters together or make phone calls um, and build that community, it can be very effective. That's great. I went to a gathering at someone's home at the end of last year, and it was such a great group of women. And we all did the thing where you go around and you introduce yourself and talk about like what you're most concerned about going into 2020. Um, and there were so many people there that that, that icebreaker took two <laughs> hours. <laughs> 
and the event was over and we all just like we all had introduced ourselves but we hadn't taken any action so yes that's fair yeah i think if it's a huge group maybe don't do the big icebreaker yeah thing that's why i say small small is nice so yeah. yeah so these are great tips and i do completely condone a massive rager on november 4th <laughs> yeah right that's the time for that to celebrate our new president being elected yeah, we're and we're gonna have work to do after that. So you know, <laughs> right? Collect email addresses at your <laughs> rager at the rager. Yes, on the <laughs> red solo cups. Too. Yeah, right. yeah. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to see people's pictures and hear like their feedback from from their Super Tuesday house parties. Me too. Thank you so much for joining us today and for stepping up and taking action. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved and our work has to start right now. And hey, we want to hear from you. Who would you like to hear on the show and what topics do you want to discuss? Let us know by emailing podcast at swingleft.org or you can call 347-WIN-2020. We can be the friend you phone in February. (laughs) Uh, And we might just play your message on this show. Thanks to everyone who has subscribed, rated, and reviewed. Thanks to our friends at Dimcast. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Share us on social media. Use the hashtag HowWeWin2020. Uh, check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And, of course, sign up to volunteer. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you being here and are excited to bring you more from the field next Thursday. Thursday. (laughs) See you then. See you then. Happy Super Tuesday.